If you could turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter 3, I'll be reading verses 1 through 7. Wives, in the same way, submit to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is as of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Thanks, babe. Oh, if you're first time here, that's my wife. I can call her babe. <laughs> Thank you, Donna. Good morning, church. Now, as she read those verses, don't you feel a little bad for me today? I mean, just a little? Yeah, you should feel bad for yourself, perhaps. I don't know. We're tackling the subject of marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. <laughs> I've always kind of wanted to say that. It fits today. You probably heard about the married 80-year-old couple who had been married for 60 years, and they were having problems in their marriage. Their problem was they had trouble remembering day-to-day -day things. They both decided that they would write things down to help them remember. So while sitting on the couch one evening watching TV, the husband got up from the couch and his wife asked, where are you going? And he replies, to the kitchen. She asks, well, will you get me a bowl of ice cream? And she rep he replies, sure. So then he asks, she asks him, well, don't you think you should, you should write it down so you won't forget? He says, I can remember that. She then says, well, I'd like some strawberries on, the, on top of that ice cream. You better write it down. You're going to forget. And he says, no, I can remember that. You want a bowl of ice cream with strawberries? She replies, well, I also would like a little whipped cream on the top. Now I know you're going to forget what I said. You better write it down. With irritation in his voice, he says, I don't need to write that down. I can remember it. And he fumes off into the kitchen. After about 30 minutes later, he returns from the kitchen and hands her a plate of bacon and eggs. <laughs> she stares at the plate for a moment and says, I knew you were going to mess it up. You forgot the toast. <laughs> Who has the problem? See, all seasons of marriage has its challenges. The longer you're in marriage, the more you're a realist about marriage, not an idealist. 
I married an ideal, I got an ordeal, and I want a new deal. Well, Peter, under the direction of God, speaks to real struggles. He's a realist. And while it's true that Peter has marriage on his mind as we come to chapter 3, these verses fall within a bigger context of making evangelism believable by how we live. How we as Christians should live in society. How we ought to live in a a broken, fallen world as, as a follower of Jesus Christ. And the message should be clear, at least over the last few weeks, is that we are to live in such a way that gives credibility to the gospel. We saw back in chapter 2, verse 12, it said, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. In chapter 2, verse 15, he says, For it is God's will that by doing good, again, by what they see, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. And on the heels of those words, Peter then addressed, as we saw last week, the matter of responding appropriately to unjust suffering, particularly the mistreatment that can happen in the workplace. And as we saw last week, when life's not fair, when we experience unjust suffering, it is never an excuse for ungodly choices or ungodly behavior. And the theme that runs through all of it is being winsome, being winsome in difficult relationships. And Peter will now continue that thought as we come to chapter 3. If you're not there, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3 as we're going to be looking at the verses. Donna just read the first seven verses this morning. It's also worthwhile to note that on the other side of these seven verses, the theme of being winsome in difficult relationships continues. Now, winsome, Webster defines winsome this way. It might be helpful for us along the way. It's being attractive or appealing in appearance or character. It's being attractive or appealing in appearance or character. And church, winsome is needed today in the Christian community. And as we dream of ways that we can do good to those difficult people around us, that will, in fact, difficult relationship of living with an unbelieving mate. One of my challenges this morning was, I mean, some difficult relationship, okay? That's on you. That's your homework. Winsome. Principle number one is we can't talk someone into the kingdom. We can't talk someone into the kingdom. All right. 1 Peter 3, verse 1. It says, wives in the same way, be submissive. The phrase there, in the same way, or likewise, some translate. Let the unbeliever see your life. How does a believer live in a, in a non-Christian place of employment and under an unbelieving, perhaps even harsh boss? Let the unbeliever see your life. How does a believing spouse live with an unbelieving mate? Well, Peter starts with what not to do. What not to do. Be submissive to your husbands, he says there in, in verse 1, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they're not believers, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. What not to do. Now we need to understand the culture at that time that this was written. 
In Roman civilization, when it came to the family, it was the man, it was the husband in a Roman household who had complete autocratic authority until he was dead. It was expected then that the wife would worship the gods of the society. A husband was to instruct the wife and not the other way around. Our culture is different. Woman, you are allowed to talk. You are allowed to teach, but not in that day. And so to the wife then who, who came to faith, this was going to pose a problem at home with a husband who was not a believer. What was the wife to do? I mean, how does a spouse interested in spiritual things get the attention of a mate who could care less about spirituality? Well, should she come home and tell her husband all that she learned at the Bible study she had that, that morning? Should she return to her husband what the preacher said that, that morning or, or, or the latest thing she read in, 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 in Daily Bread? I know. Should she put Scripture verses on the bottom of his Bud Light can? Should, he, should she set his dials on, the, on, on his radio in the car to K-Love Christian Station or Air One? Maybe she should place gospel tracks on his pillow. I mean, is, I mean come on. Is that going to win him to Christ? Badger him about his need for Jesus? Wives, there's something irresistibly attractive about inward beauty. Verse 3, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, and then he's going to give a couple examples of what he means by that, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes, or literally just clothes. Now, some of you women right now might be taking out the braid, slipping off your bracelets and earrings and putting them in your pocketbook, hoping no one noticed them as you came in. Is that what he's saying? Remember the... Remember the children's book character, Amelia Bedelia? <laughs> I do. She took everything literal. She put real sponges in the sponge cake. She pitched a tent by throwing it in the woods. She rolled jelly on the floor to make a jelly roll. And she put clothes on the chicken when told to dress the chicken. Now, if we were Amelia Bedelia-like, we would take this very literal. Women should never braid their hair. They should never put on any jewelry. They should not dress nice. And some have even added to this the wearing of makeup. Is that what Peter's getting at? Well, in verses 3 to 4, Peter sets up this contrast between the outward and the inward. Peter's not forbidding outward adornment. The issue is of one's preoccupation. That really should be unmistakably clear by what he says in verse 4. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. He's saying be concerned with dressing the inner person, the inner qualities of a gentle and quiet spirit. Listen, that's what will last forever. That will never go out of fashion. Now, when Peter speaks of gentleness and quietness, we tend to think of certain personality types, don't we? Don't do that. If this had to do with personality, then it would make no sense at all for Peter to give this instruction. Peter isn't speaking, speaking too confidently, yet in a peaceful manner. 
So what's a believing wife to do to attract her husband to the Lord? Spend more time at a beauty parlor, tanning booth, buying a nicer clothes? What's her greatest tool of evangelism, the virtue of a godly character? What's inside? And you know, in a culture obsessed, obsessed with outward adornment, in a culture that parades beautiful women to sell that car or to sell an Axe body spray or to improve TV ratings or anything else they can put before the eyes of us shallow men. I said that. There's tremendous pressure for ladies to conform to that. Writer Ali Reid created a fake profile, a fake profile on a dating site to prove that beauty isn't only skin deep for most men. On this fake profile, she listed a bunch of despicable traits. Things like enjoys kicking cups out of a homeless people's hands. (laughs) My parents think I'm in law school, so they're paying all my bills. And you should message me if you're rich. And a bunch of despicable things. But, but for the online pic of this fake profile, she used the real photo of a friend who's a professional model. The first 24 hours, she got 150 messages. After two weeks, she had close to 1,000 men message her. She got 10 times the number of messages that her real profile got. So the pressure to be preoccupied with outward beauty and a certain size and a certain shape, they're real. Now, don't let yourself go and take no care of the outward appearance, but neither should you be preoccupied with it. Peter's selling here the adornment of character. And he gives an example, verse 5. For, in, for this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their husbands. Now Sarah walks down the runway. Verse 6. Like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called the master, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give in to fear. Now you should stop feeling bad for me. <laughs> These are very tricky verses. Mentioning Abraham here, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Often in Scripture, we see God of Abraham. It's, a, it's, a, it's, through, it's through Abraham that ushers in the promise that spreads the gospel to the ends of the earth. God's plan of redemption for all people began with God's call to Abraham. Now Abraham, he had some questionable practices at times. And for Sarah to follow her husband, it meant trusting God in uncertain and even unpleasant situations. But tells us here that Sarah called her husband master. Now that will fly today. Now, now men read this. <laughs> men read this. And they think that Sarah walked around the house saying, Master, would you like to get me to get you some more orange juice? And Master, can I bring you your slippers? What else would you like me to do for you? Master, that's how men read it. Where, wives read this and think, she must have said it under her breath. breath. Yes, yes, Master. <laughs> now, you know what? The, the second thought is closer to the truth than the first. Sorry, men. I mean, without the sarcasm, 
Definitely without the sarcasm. When you go back to the Old Testament and you try and find where she called Abraham master, not easy to find. It's in Genesis chapter 18. It's in the same verse where we find that Sarah laughed. Why did Sarah laugh? Well, it was when the promise was given that a child would be born to Abraham and Sarah. What's so funny about that? <laughs> Abraham and Sarah's old age. And so in Genesis 18, 12, it says, Sarah's in her tent. She hears this outside her tent. Notice here, Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out and my master is old, shall I have pleasure? That's where it says it. She said that in her tent, under her breath, to herself, not realizing that the visitor outside the tent was God in human form, able to hear what she said in secret. But I think Sarah's true feelings for a husband came out there was that of respect. I'm old, <laughs> she's thinking, but my man, my protector, my provider, <laughs> he's even older. All right, whatever you make of that, don't get bogged down in it. Because the key to all of this is in reference to where she placed her hope. Where was her hope? Was it in what her husband could provide? Go back with me at verse 5. It says, For this is the way holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. Beautiful. If your hope is in your husband, it is a misplaced hope. If your hope is in your spouse meeting all your needs, it is, it is a misplaced hope. If your hope is in getting a mate, then it is misplaced hope. If your hope is in your looks, or if your hope is in any person changing or your situation improving, if your, if your hope is in getting your needs met because you're able to manipulate and have the ability to shame others to do what you want, it is misplaced hope. Our hope is to be in one direction. We've been talking about this whole series. Our hope is to be in the Lord, that he can use a life well lived for him to win others over. We're to live on that hope. Peter says, there's something irresistibly attractive about a wife who is more concerned about her internal character than external appearance. And what's true in the marriage is relevant to any of our relationships, particularly those that are difficult. All right, ran out of time. I can't get to verse 7. No, I'm just kidding. All right, verse 7. Here's the third, third principle. Thanks for tracking with me. I thought I might have just woke you up. A great third principle. A great testimony of the world is a Christianity that works. A great testimony of the world is a Christianity that works. And you might want to supply a marriage that works. We'll get to that. All right, verse 7. Now, six verses given to wives, one verse to husbands, and all the women go, well, that seems hardly fair. Well, think of it this way. The fact that there are six verses given to women and their wills is an elevation of women in that day that dishonored women as property and that they did not have minds and wills of their own. Peter said, I don't have six verses to that. I'm elevating women. Verse 7. 
He says, in the same way, which speaks to the husband's own submission to God as his authority, the same way that be our main goal and focus of life is, is the winning of souls, being winsome. He goes on to say, be considerate as you live with your wives. So how is a husband to live with his wife? In an authoritarian way? In a demanding way? What does Peter say? Now literally, literally, verse 7 says, in this husband's in the same way, Live with your wives according to knowledge. Literally. Live with your wives according to knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of her. Know her feelings. Know her talents. Know her struggles. Know her strengths. Grow to know her inside and out. Men, that is your primary job. Know your wife. Man, you may know the entire workings of an engine. You may know the intricacies of a circuit board. You may know the stats of your favorite players and the standings of your favorite team. You may know how to catch that bass or you may know how to hunt that deer. You may know how to build things. You may know all the lines of your favorite movie. You may know all the ingredients to that special dish. You may know how to defend some theological position. You may know how to explain all five points of Calvinism. You may know multiple verses by memory and even whole books of the Bible, but do you know your wife? Do I? 39 years of marriage, I need to still work at knowing my wife. Don't ever tire of getting to know your wife, man. True story. The business next to him was traveling on business or pleasure. Pleasure, the young man replied. I'm returning from my honeymoon. Your honeymoon, the businessman asked, mystified. Where's your wife? Oh, she's a few rows back. The plane was full, so we couldn't get two seats together. But the plane hadn't started rolling yet, so the businessman said, you know what, I'd be happy to change seats with her so that the two of you can be together. Well, that's okay, the young man replied. I've been talking to her all week. (laughs) He's got a long way to go. A long way to go. By talking with our wives, we know that we value them. So Peter says, treat them with respect. Middle of verse 7. The word really is honor. Why honor them? Two reasons Peter gives for honoring. Chance it means this. Since God's design from the beginning was that both male and female are image bearers of God himself. Well, maybe it's saying that she's she's weaker because she's not a believer, so she's weaker spiritually. Possibly. But the word attached to weaker in the NIV is partner. Weaker partner, says in the NIV. But literally, the word is vessel. Weaker vessel. And vessel in the New Testament most often refers to our our, our physical bodies. You can check it out. Refers to our physical bodies that we are easily breakable. Now again, we need to put ourselves in that culture and the time it was written. In Peter's day, women were considered just another object 
property that the husband owned. Often, then, they were mistreated in the marriage. Domestic abuse was seen as normal. And the way husbands were to shape their wives. And so what Peter says here is very countercultural, and he elevates women. Be men, he says. Be men who would honor women as whole people. Be men who respect and honor what they have to say and allow them to use their gifts. This was not the way society worked in that day. But let's show the world that that, what God's way works. That when a wife wants to be that wife God's way, putting herself in a place of vulnerability, make sure, men, you never take advantage of that. Now, there's a warning here to husbands to refrain from the physical dishonor of their wives. There's other ways they can dishonor, but there's, I think there's a, there's a direct word here to refrain from the physical dishonor of their wives. In other words, husbands, hands off. Don't physically bully her. She's not your property. She's not some object for your pleasure. No, no, she's an heir with you of the gracious gift of life. That's the second reason you're to honor her. She is God's gift to you. That's your, that's, she's your partner. You're to lead her in a way where she feels safe, where she feels heard, where she's free to grow, where she feels included and part of where God is taking you. Listen, you cannot be honoring her and smothering her at the same time. You cannot be honoring her and cutting her down at the same time. You cannot be distant from her and honor her at the same time. You can't be yelling, I'm the boss and leader around here, and honor her at the same time. These verses were meant to protect women. And yet, frankly, this passage in Scripture and others like it have been used to harm women. If you've been on the receiving end of such abuse of this passage, my heart goes out to you this morning as you try to make sense of what this is all really saying. If you grew up in a home where it was taught that a woman must submit to her husband no matter what, I am sorry that you were subjected to that. If you witnessed your mom being physically abused, or you're in a relationship right now of abuse, and you were told you must keep quiet about it, listen, it is off from the heart of God and what this passage is teaching. And sorry that this passage has been twisted to harm you. It's the exact opposite of this passage intent to protect women. This passage is not a green light to stay in abusive situations. God does not expect you to submit in a dangerous situation. If you're in that presently, you need to seek help. You need to seek help. Now, I'm not talking about a marriage that's difficult. I'm not talking about a season you're in right now that feels impossible to get through. I'm not talking about this this conflict that you have in your marriage you just got to work through. No, no, no. But the moment, listen. The moment he bullies you, corners you, hits you, you do not have to submit to that. You do not. 
And it isn't only a husband's relationship with his wife that is at stake here. If things aren't right at home, they are not right with the Lord. The end of verse 7, it really gets me every single time. It's humbling to think of the end of verse 7. It puts it all in perspective. We're to honor, treat them with respect as the weaker partner heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Why? So that nothing will hinder your prayers. If you're not listening to your wife, he isn't going to listen to you. And husbands, if you're struggling with your prayer life right now, maybe one place to look is your marriage. You might want to ask the question, how's my marriage? Because if you're dishonoring your wife, if you're not being considerate to her needs, then your prayers are only hitting the ceiling. You might go, God, bless my business. God, open this door for me. God, help this sermon to go well this morning. God, help me in my teaching to, for it to go well this, today when I, when I teach. But you're bullying your wife. You're using your size or your voice to intimidate her. God says, I don't hear you. Wow. That nails me. Do you think I needed to be, make, make sure that we're okay? Before coming up here? Husbands, honor your wives. Honor your wives. It's the greatest influence you can have on her. Be winsome. Because husbands, wives, couples, the unbelieving world is watching your relationship. It is. Christopher Ashe reflects on the powerful testimony of a Christian marriage. He says, some years ago, a dispute arose in Britain between foreign office and the treasury The argument was about which British ambassadors would be provided with a Rolls Royce for their official duties in a foreign capital. The Treasury unsurprisingly wanted these wonderful cars restricted to just a few, perhaps in Washington and Moscow and Paris. The Foreign Office argued for many more Rolls Royce being out there based on the following reasoning. It said, most people in a foreign capital have never been to Britain. But when they see this magnificent car gliding through their streets with the United Kingdom flag on the hood, they will say to themselves, I have not been to Britain. I don't know much about Britain. But if they can make cars like that, then Britain must be a wonderful place. In a a similar way, may the unbelieving world see a Christian marriage and say, if a man and a woman can love one another like that, if a a husband can treat his wife with such honor, if they can see a wife who, who submits so beautifully with such an attractive spirit that I want to know their God, be winsome. Show the unbelieving world that Christianity works at home, and as someone said, if your Christianity doesn't work at home, it doesn't work. Show the unbelieving world that your Christianity works whatever the difficult relationship that you are in right now. May they see that it works. Testimony to God and for His glory. We made it through. Now let's pray.
God, we just, we thank you for your word. As long as I can stick to that, I'm on safe footing. Still not easy to work through these verses and these words this morning, but I pray, God, that the personal application that needs to be made to each and every situation here this morning, only one can do that, and that's you. I don't have the ability to do that, no way. But the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, would speak into each and every life here this morning, give them exactly what it is they need to hear, the encouragement they need, maybe even the challenge, I don't know, we'll leave that up to you, but do that work. That our time here this morning would not be in vain, I pray in Jesus' name.